This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. To the Adopted Mom Podcast, season one, episode 11. I am so excited that we are on episode 11. And that means that there are, including this one, five more episodes before the end of season one. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break and be back with you in season two. I'm already recording episodes in season two. So I'm super excited to keep on bringing you guys stories from characters in this whole adoption world. If you have any suggestions for me or any encouragement or advice, please reach out either on Facebook or in the comments of iTunes. So if you go to iTunes and leave a review, you can select a star rating and then you can just take a few minutes and leave me some words of encouragement or um, advice for anyone else thinking about listening to the podcast. That really helps me out. And I love to read them on my intros. So keep that in mind that you could be featured and you probably will be. So today I have an exciting treat for you guys. We are going to talk to Charlie and Heidi Lofton. So we're bringing you the first dude to the Adoptive Mom podcast, which is kind of cool. And they, Charlie is a pastor at a church that really, really seeks to flip this whole adoption stereotype upside down. Um, There are way more adoptive families in our church than usual, and it's such an inclusive community where we feel so supported and encouraged and just all of those lovey-dovey words. And not all churches pull this off, and so Charlie and Heidi have some great advice to church leaders and pastors and anyone who's seeking to change the culture of their church into a more welcoming environment for adoptive families. It's so important. We need that support. We thrive with it, and we almost cannot survive without it. So if you are a mover or shaker in the church community, listen up, because they have some really awesome things to say. I want to remind you that if you are looking into getting, or if you're looking to get into this adoption thing, please reach out to me. I will hook you up with the people that you need to talk to to get involved. So on that note, let's hop right in to my interview with Charlie and Heidi Lofton. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Today, um, as I said before, we are starting something new. We actually have two interviewees, and one of them is a dude. So, Charlie, how are you feeling about that? Uh, it's, it's normal life for me. I have a wife and three daughters. So, you know, stuff that's designed for women, that's just kind of my life. Oh, I guess you're, yeah, you're regularly outnumbered, huh? Yes. I don't know anything different than that. <laughs> well, cool. Hopefully that'll translate. And Heidi, you're here too. Hello. Hello. All right. So tell us a little bit about you guys, your family and you guys, your marriage, all that stuff. Well... Um, we've been married for 23 years. I'm, yes. I'm terrible at math, but I'm a math major, so I don't have to be good at math. <laughs> so I just looked at correct numbers. I don't even know how old I am, but we've been married 23 years and we have three daughters. Maylee will be 20. Um, in December, Lauren just turned 17 and Layla will turn six. In November. And, okay. I, I love 
love that when people ask, you know, about about our kids to see, yeah, we got a sophomore in college, a junior in high school, and a kindergartner, and then they they make that face, and I always like it. And then and then most people will be like, "Well, she a surprise," and it's like, <laughs> "Well, yeah, yeah, but not in the way you think." <laughs> So, yeah, okay, you hinted, so she was not a surprise, and that's uh, a big reason why you're on this podcast right now. So the youngest one did not come out of your body, Heidi. She did not. She did not. I, I forget that a lot of days, but she did not. Um, we um, are Layla's adoptive family and um, are thrilled to be, and we actually are getting ready to celebrate her um, forever day, we call it which is the day that her adoption was finalized and um, is coming up next week. So she's um, her forever day and her birthday are within three weeks of each other. So it's just sort of one whole big celebratory season and she's already making big plans for all of it. <laughs> I was about to say, knowing, knowing Layla, I bet uh, she hates all that attention, right? Oh yes, yes, yes. I think she's already booked, you know, venues and stuff. She's, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Charlie, in uh, in addition to being horribly outnumbered in your family, you also have three girls and none of them are like quiet and meek and uh, just, you know, go like none of them just sit back. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's I, I, I don't know that you could survive around here if you were if you were quiet, shy and introverted. I mean, it's it's just constant chaos and dancing and singing and <laughs> joke. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. So, Charlie, why don't you tell us what you do for a living? Well, I am a pastor. I've been in ministry since we graduated from college, and I've been a pastor at the Grove Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, for just a little bit over seven years. We moved here in August 2010. Yeah. So, y'all's uh, y'all's Grove is almost exactly the same as ours because we came two weeks after you started. Nice. Yeah. And you are, and you guys are officially the only person to have ever gotten engaged during a church service at the Grove Church. Yeah, that was that still is uh, a little. I'm still like, did that really happen? Was that did that was that a thing? It happened. I was. <laughs> I also. I was yeah. in on it. Yeah. So you've you've seen us. You've seen our family from and and when we came to the Grove, we were not even like officially boyfriend and girlfriend. We were just kind of uh, we had been on like a few dates. So you saw us from that point to now. We have. A bajillion children. Exactly. You're 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 more than outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So just speaking of all of that, and now we we know just a little bit. And um, Heidi, your your main job is a keeping up with all of these children, but b keeping up with Charlie. Correct. Those are my main jobs, and they keep me uh, quite busy. <laughs> I also do some editing for um, ministries and um, friends writing books who are in ministry and um, some social media posting for a ministry. So I kind of keep my hand in a lot of um, the kinds of things that English majors do as part-time work. (laughs) Awesome. I actually didn't know that. That's super cool to know though. Um, Okay. So yeah, let's, let's hear a little bit. We talked about Layla and we talked about how you guys, you guys waited a little while before you jumped into this adoption thing, but let's hear that. Let's hear that whole story. And I want you to, just because I know a lot of the story, but I also would love to hear you guys include some of these factors that led to the point where you, where Layla was possible. Well, we had always, um, we, um, We'd always wanted more children. Um, it 
took us a long time to conceive both um, of our older two daughters um, who are biological. And um, so we always, we never intended to only have two children. And so, um, but we always, you know, we had gotten pregnant twice. So we thought we would, um, we would be able to conceive again. And then year after year, we weren't able to. And so as time went on, of course, there's, there was just a, a woundedness that kind of came with that monthly disappointment. And um, I would say we didn't really start to entertain adoption as um, a means of growing our family until maybe a church service at Fellowship in Little Rock, would you say? Yeah, well, I, you had been talking about it before we moved to, to, to Central Arkansas. And you were trying to get me on board with it, and I was, I was, I was skeptical, a little bit, a little bit fearful, and, and kind of uncertain about it. And then we were at this church service. It was really the first one that we had been at at Fellowship Little Rock, and it was, it was just like Orphan Orphan, orphan Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And Dennis Rainey from Family Life was speaking about orphans and adoption and all these things. And they showed a video. You know how that goes. And then um, after after the service, we both kind of went out in the lobby, and like both international and local adoption centers all had their their stuff out there, and we just kind of gathered everybody's materials. And over the course of the next few months, my heart completely changed, and and I was ready. Okay, well, let's just let's just figure out where we want to adopt. I'm I'm ready. And so we started looking into. Um, different adoption possibilities, and I even filled out paperwork, and we were looking at getting a boy from Vietnam, I think, and I mean, we, we, had all, we, we had all sorts of possibilities and, and all sorts of dreams and hopes, and honestly, the further we got into the process, um, it, I think it was me then, I had been the one pushing the ball forward, but then as we started to really begin the process, I got cold feet. And um, I think just having um, been through years of, of not being able to conceive and just the disappointments of that, I, I had also just, you know, just struggled with depression during that time and just that, that disappointment. And I finally had felt like, I finally felt like I was in a place in my life where I was good where I was okay and I was okay even if I even if our family was complete and I there were many many years where I couldn't have said that and so I finally could say that and so then the idea of opening my heart back up to um you know to the horror stories the 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 years of pursued international adoptions and the money thrown at that and then it never comes to fruition or, or the the stateside adoptions where the birth mom decides to parent her child and and the the family that's been matched is left heartbroken or the foster care you know horror stories of you you fall in love and you you're certain you're going to be adopting and then a relative emerges and you you're heartbroken again and so I think after having finally felt like I was in a place where I could say, okay, I'm good. I just didn't want to open myself back up to possibly becoming not good again. So I was just. And so 
right around that time, I guess around 2007, 2008, was when the call started in Pulaski County. And I actually was went to high school and was friends with, with Mary Carroll, who was the, uh, the first executive director for that. And so we got to see that happen. And then we were in Cabot, Arkansas, which is in Lone Oak County. And we were the first county outside of Pulaski to bring the call to another place. And so our church um, was very instrumental in bringing that to Lone Oak County. Our, it was kind of started with some families in our church. I served on the, on the board for that for a while. So we were very supportive of this ministry. We had a lot of families in that church that were, were foster parents and some that adopted but, he, but there was still, there was this kind of this check that it wasn't our time yet. Even though we were incredibly supportive of this ministry, we didn't believe it was our time yet. And then in 2010, August 2010, we moved here. And at just that very time we were moving, the call was coming to Northwest Arkansas. They were having a launch banquet. And one of the people who was a part of that was a part of the Grove. And they knew about my involvement in Lone Oak County and asked if I would come and speak from a pastor's perspective at this launch banquet, which I did and loved and enjoyed. And I think it was around that time, August, September of 2010, that God kind of re-grabbed my heart in a bigger way and um, talked to Heidi about it. And that was when our heart really shifted. But at that time, for for crazy you know reasons, we were, we were four people living in a two-bedroom apartment and so that was, it was not possible for us to start the process to become foster parents because we did not have adequate space. And then the following February is when we were able to move into a house. And that's when we started the process with the call, which one of my favorite stories to tell is, you know, all these circumstances that delayed our ability to start this process pushed it all the way back to February of 2011 which, if you do the math on Layla's birthday in November 2011, um, we we started this process right ar- around the time that she was conceived, and so it was obvious wow. that that God was He was orchestrating this plan. And so we went to an information meeting that was at the Grove and filled out paperwork and everything, and um, began the process and. Then um, we had Tom and Leah Burry over for dinner one night, and Leah it works as an occupational therapy assistant in a um, therapeutic preschool. And so we're just sitting there casually having dinner, and Leah says, there are two boys I want you to adopt. And I was like, wait, wait what? <laughs> and it just really, it just really stirred my heart because – as I shared, my my heart was was just so tender and so raw, and I was so afraid of being hurt that I had always told the Lord, if you would just drop a baby on my doorstep, I would gladly raise one. <laughs> Go through the process of the the uncertain and and potentially devastating process of actually getting the child. So. Um, when, when Tom and Leah left, I was just, I, I was really just kind of wrecked. I, I, I just started thinking about it and, and praying about it and talking to the Lord about it. And I was like, God, I've always told you that I would 
raise a child, you know, if if you gave me one. And and <laughs> I really heard from the Lord in in that not audible voice, but you know it's God kind of way. And He said, "I've got all kinds of kids, but you got some paperwork to fill out." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So. I just, I just felt clear direction that it was time to start working on those stacks of paperwork that we um, had been given through the call and, and start to get this filled out. So we started working on stacks of paperwork and we looked into, um, we pursued trying to um, get placement of the two boys that Leah had talked about. Um, we went through the training um, for the call in June and, um, it, I mean, it was just, God just opened all the doors, even down to, it was an incredibly busy summer. And how do you get two weekends in June yeah. when you're free and you can do it on, on a very short notice? We hadn't even signed up for any of the trainings. And we just called and said, hey, it's last minute, but can we get in on this training? Yeah, but open. Well, and by the time we completed the training, and then and then there's multiple other steps to go through. You have a lot of paperwork to fill out. You have to wait on home studies and and um, and home visits and all that kind of thing. And by the time we completed that process, the boys that Leah had told us about had been adopted um, or placed in an adoptive home already. And so um, there was some disappointment there, but we heard multiple families tell us. Um, Anne was one of them, um, who you've already done an interview with, but she told us even at the training, she said, a lot of times the kids that God uses to draw your heart into this foster care process are not the ones who he's going to actually place in your home. Oh yeah. That's our story too. But yeah. So, so we just, we just were able to, I mean, I think also we, you know, we hadn't met these boys or anything. And, and so, um, our hearts weren't really attached to, to them per se, but, um, but by October we were open and, um, so we received a few, a few phone calls. I, I think just, I think just the one, you got that one call, it was two kids that you had just dropped me off at the airport. I was going to go into Birmingham for three days right. and you were like, I don't think I can handle my first placement with my husband being gone. <laughs> Why Heidi? I don't get it. <laughs> I did say no to that. It seemed like we had another call too that was maybe an older, an older boy that we did. We had another call then that was an older boy, but because we had eleven and a fourteen year old girl um, at the time, and so I think I think they wanted to place like an eight year old boy or something, and I just felt like that was too too old with it being opposite gender. And so, um, anyways, we we waited, and um, during the training, they told us that a lot of times. Foster families can't take newborns because um, because kids have to be six weeks old to go to most daycares. And if people work um, and they're a foster family, they can't just take off work for six weeks until the child can go to daycare. And so because I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, um, well, I was working part-time for the church, but I had the flexibility that... Um, I just said every time I answered the phone that I would be, I would be willing to take a newborn. And so I had said that the first two times they had called that I had had to say no to the placement they were asking me about, but I had just thrown that in there. 
And so it was um, on a Tuesday, um, Tuesday afternoon, and I was up at the Grove office, and I was working on some paperwork, and I got a phone call, and um, Jennifer said on the phone, um, hi, Heidi, this is Jennifer from DHS, and um, were you serious when you said you would take a newborn? Because I had mentioned that the two times that I had had to say no, and I said, of course, and um, she said, well, a baby girl was born on Sunday, and she needs a family, and um, but this could, it is most likely going to move towards adoption with this case, and so if you say yes to the placement, the foster placement, I want to know that you would be a home that would consider adoption, definitely. So um, I hung up the phone and <laughs> immediately called Charlie, and um, I, I started trying to explain the situation to him, and I was so just overwhelmed, and um, he was, I, I, I finally just yelled into the phone, where are you? And he, he told me what meeting he was in or where he was, and I'm like, why are you not here now? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I needed I needed him to realize this was a drop what you're doing and come be with me moment. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. I <laughs> <laughs> stop doing what you're doing and come, come be with me. And so, um, I really felt like, I mean, it was just, you know, I'll, I'll just never forget. I still have the piece of yellow legal pad where I was doing my paperwork for the Grove and, where they called me and I started taking notes and writing down everything she was telling me about this um, baby that had been born and um, asking me if if we would consider being her family for a season and possibly forever. I'm yeah. sure Charlie's dying to say something, so I'll... I'll, I'll <laughs> he's been being so good and quiet. <laughs> you guys are doing great at this tag-teaming the story thing. And, um yeah. I was I was at Chick Fil A waiting for a guy to he, he and I were going to meet there in the afternoon, and she calls me just like she says like she's like okay I just got this call and they said there's a baby girl that's been born and they said and she just and, she, and then <laughs> like she said she's like where are you I was like I'm I'm at Chick Fil A why are you not here <laughs> I'm I am on the way <laughs> Did um, you tell the guy or did you just stand him up? Uh, it was the way it worked out. Uh, I texted him and he was about to stand me up. So it worked out just fine. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So, so we know now how it actually, how the story ends, right? It ends in adoption, but it was a little bit turbulent. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. And you don't have to go into like super great detail, but you know, I, I remember reading a blog post of yours, Charlie, where you offered to eat your computer if it meant that you could keep this baby girl. So um, what were some of those emotions that you had when you thought that that might not be what happened? Yeah, we, we, we contemplated a lot of crime over the course of the, <laughs> over the, over the course of the seven months. And, and, you know, they, they told us, you know, this is very likely to, to move towards adoption, but, you know, at the same time, you know, they're also very careful to make sure that we're talking about the process and this isn't your kid and, and, you know, trying to get us to keep this kind of, you know, to not talk about her like she's already ours. Definitely and, you know, don't give her a new name, right? Right. Well, well, that was the crazy thing is that they, they told us they couldn't get a hold of the mom 
to 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 name her and so they said well you're gonna be the foster parent so you get to name her so we did and then finally i like at the 11th hour they they got a hold of the mom and they asked the mom well what do you want to name her and i think her first response was okay anyway she ultimately gave a name and so um then then that was the legal name and so we um but we had already given her a name and um anyways so it 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 got a little it was a little complicated just because of um kind of the you know just the uncertainty of it all it was um we knew she wasn't going to go to um to her parents um to bio mom or dad but um and we were told that you know there wouldn't be, there would not be other family members that would be a possibility, but it turned out um, that we showed up at court one time, which we thought was for a routine court appointment, and um, there sat a bio relative who had already had a home study and who wanted placement, and so you know, just those mama bear thoughts. I, I love um, Amy's terminology that she used. Um, in her podcast where she was just talking about foster moms being warrior moms Mm -hmm. and you, you from day one, from day one of going to, um, sit with, um, Layla in the NICU and having to, having to assert my rights with, um, hospital personnel. And no, I know I don't have paperwork and I know that we don't have the same name, but I am this child's mom for right now. I am her mom and you, you need to let me in there with her. You need to let me feed her. You need to let me hold her. This is my baby. You can't, you can't kick me out because I'm her mom. No, I don't have any paperwork that says I'm her mom because this all just happened today, but (laughs) I'm, and, and today this baby needs a mama and today this mama is me. And so you're fighting, you're fighting these fights for these kids from day one, but then, um, and so you, you develop all these protective and warrior mama bear instincts, but then you show up to court and there sits someone who may have more legal rights to the child that you've loved for months than you do. And you're helpless. You, you, and, and everything in you wants to fight and wants to protect and wants to control because that's what mamas do. And you can't. And you're thinking, um, okay, I'm going to run to Mexico. <laughs> I'm going to, who, who, I'll, I'll, I'll mortgage my house. Who do I have to pay? Who do I have to give money to under the table? Where, how can I get on a boat headed south, you know, with no paperwork? I mean, you just, the crazy things go through your mind, but ultimately you, you can't do those things. You, you're stuck being a part of a system where really you don't have any control or any power. And that, and it's, it's faith building. Um, it's also, it's also traumatic. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. And I remember very early on, you know, the girls, you know, were 11 and 14 and, we're talking about having this baby now in our house. And I remember we were sitting down, we were talking and, you know, saying, we, we, we don't know. We don't know how this is going to go. They're telling us that, you know, it's 
high percentage chance it's going to go to adoption, but, but, but we don't know. But here's the thing that I do know is that we're the only family that this precious little baby girl has. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't have anyone. And what she needs right now, she doesn't need two, two caregivers and two playmates. She needs a mom, a dad, and two sisters. And so we made a decision as a family that the, the phrase that, that, that I used was that we were going to love her recklessly. Mm. That um, regardless of consequence, regardless of what might happen, regardless of what, what might happen to our hearts afterwards, we were, we were going to love her fully and totally as if she was ours even long before we knew she was ours. And it would be better to have loved her and, and something happened than for during these very critical months in her precious, most vulnerable season of her life, for her to, I mean, it was more important that, that she receive that full love from all of us. And if anybody's going to be heartbroken, it's going to be us. And, and we're not going to, we're not going to play it safe when that's not what this precious little baby needed. Yeah. Well, and, and just on that note about your, your older kids, just for a second, I wanted to ask you, cause I remember a, um, a conversation that you had with them where you were telling them some of the consequences of, of taking this responsibility on as a family and what that might mean for them. And their response completely surprised you guys, right? Yep. Um, we, we were all, we were, we were driving in the car, we were heading out of town and we just started, we were just talking about it. And, um, I was saying, you know, right now when there's a soccer game, everybody goes to the soccer game and mainly when you have a play, everybody goes to the play, but you know, now, you know, some of, some of, some of us will probably have to stay home. This is before we even knew Layla. I mean, this was just, we're going to have a small child at some point. People are going to have to stay home. Not everybody's going to be able to come to your games, to your plays, and you may not be able to do as many activities as you, as you would like to. You're not going to be able to do as much stuff. And, and I was just trying to sell it as much as I could. It's like, man, if we do this, your life is going to change. And I, I feel like I was overselling it. And then afterwards, I stopped, and they said, well, is that it? And I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah. I was like, well, then we should totally do this. <laughs> I love that story. I just And I love the connection that that kids can have with these foster and adoptive children and and just the love that comes so much easier for them than, than for parents sometimes. And obviously, I know you guys' story is a little bit different. You've got a newborn. Um, and we have a similar story to that with one newborn and one not newborn, um, which, which kind of transcends, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, transitions us into the next thing that I really wanted to talk about. And I wanted to start off with a story because you guys, whenever, uh, you, you kind of joke that whenever you got Layla, you didn't have a baby shower. You had like an onslaught of things being delivered to your house. We had, we had a flood. That's what I said. We didn't have a shower. We had a baby flood. It was a <laughs> explosion in our den is what happened. Like yeah. we got the call at two o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't know. That, I don't even know that we told anything. I mean, you must have. You told Jason Miller, yes. who was on staff at the church at the time, and then somehow between two o'clock and eight o'clock, our entire know. den was full of everything: a a crib, a pack and play, and more pink clothes than I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I love it. And so just talking about that, and this is something I really wanted to get into with you guys because, and here, here is my story and you guys are going to be familiar with this one. Um, so we, I was sitting in a car line picking up our oldest child, Clark, who was not yet officially adopted. And I, I was, uh, halfway through my pregnancy with Jane 
and I got a call that a uh, Clark's biological half brother, who I was not, I didn't even know existed or was coming or anything, had been born. And would we please adopt him? Oh, oh yeah, and he has a bunch of drugs in his system, and he's being released from the NICU and all of this stuff. And I'm like freaking out. I think I probably said more curse words that day than I've ever said in my life. Um, and one of my first calls, I think Heidi, you were on a college trip with your oldest daughter, Maylee. And I think I called you like three times and you were like, um, I'm busy. What's up? And I just kind of like text vomited everything that had just happened. And so five minutes later, I get a call from Charlie and you guys kind of walked Brian and I through this day because we were freaking out a little bit. And, um, and you had had a similar drug situation uh, with with Layla. And so you were able to assure me that it wasn't going to be the end of the world, that it was okay, we could do this. And then um, and then we got that baby shower flood, thanks to you, Heidi. And so that was one of the best things that a community has ever, ever, ever done for us. And I think that that culture has been created by you guys. And I think that that that's happened for a number of reasons. And and I think one of the biggest reasons is that you didn't just ask your congregation, Charlie, to, to do something hard without leading them into it. You guys stepped through that fire first. And obviously there, there were a couple of families who had adopted before you guys, but now, I mean, I think the Grove is one of the biggest call uh, the organization, the call churches in Fayetteville, probably. And so you guys have created a culture where adoption matters. Adoption is a big deal and you will be supported in that here. And I know that that probably wasn't an intentional effort on your part, but do you think that there was a point where you realized like, this is what we're doing here. We're creating this culture. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was really important to me. Like I said, we, we, even before, I mean, we weren't necessarily leading by example in the church we were at before, but we were really kind of helped pioneer that ministry. This ministry has always been very close to our to our heart, and and I and I remember on that it actually ended up being Layla's actual birthday. It was that Sunday morning, and we told people, "Hey, there's a there's a chance that we're going to adopt a kid, and we we're you know we're we're going to be foster parents." And there's going to be just some random Sunday we walk in, and it's not going to be four of us. It's going to be five of us. And obviously, being the most well-known people in the church, it's going to be a deal. And, you know, depending <laughs> how old the kid is, you know, we don't want to freak the kid out. and just kind of want you to to be aware, you know, you know, things about, don't take pictures, put them on social media, those kinds of things. And turns out she was, you know, she was born that night. And then they called us on Tuesday. We brought her home on that Thursday. And the way that I the way that I talk about it is, you know, even still at almost six years old, she walks around that church like like she owns the place, and and everybody is there to do her bidding. And <laughs> and, and and the way that I talk about it is, you know, it's got to be weird on a kid to to essentially to be adopted by five hundred people. And that was really kind of the mentality that kind of came up. You know, I think part of that just comes from us really kind of including people into our lives and just kind of being real transparent about it and just having a real relational church. And so this kind of this spirit just kind of came up of we're adopting this baby. We're fostering this baby. We, you know, this, this kind of this collective idea that we as a church are doing this with the Loftons. And so once that culture got set, then 
you know, people begin to see that even though it, it's hard in some ways, that this community will make it easier. And then every time somebody goes through this process, we make a decision as a church. Well, hey, look, guess what we're getting to do? We are getting to bring in this other baby into our family, and he's going to live with the Fittons. And again, it's been repeated several times. I mean, one of the one of the most one of the favorite things I've gotten to do, and I think I've gotten to do it four or five times now, other than Layla's, is to go to other people's forever days. And it's just it's just an incredible celebration. And every every time I go, there's you know, there's this huge community of people rallying around, and and I think that's the only way that this is going to happen. It's if 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 people feel like that becoming foster parents and then ultimately adopting kids through 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 foster care, if they have to do it alone, I don't know that anyone would do it, and I don't know that I would recommend that anyone do it if they were having to do it alone. But if you've if 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 we all decide that we're doing this, and uh, that that's the way to go. Yeah. And I mean, is there, is there anything that you even have to prepare people for, like with your staff of, of we're going to support these people or, or does that just happen? I mean, people have seemed, I mean, the Grove, our church has hosted info meetings multiple times and we've helped out with trainings and, and Heidi, you are on a team of, um, we have a, we have a foster and adoptive family support team at our church. And that is just the coolest thing in the world. And we do parents night outs and, uh, you guys give us gifts. And I mean, you, you guys have created this, this culture where not only is this just tolerated, it's celebrated. And I, I really love that. And I want you to, to maybe speak to other pastors who, who want to do this. Um, or not, I mean, just people that work at a church who want to create this culture in this community, but aren't even sure how, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, there's certain things that you just expect that a church is going to do. You don't really have to rally a church to say that we're going to have kids ministry. You don't really have to rally a church to say that we're, we're going to have a youth group. It's just, it's just expected. Of course, of course, we're going to have a youth group. And I think because, again, because of the, my experience that we'd had bef- right before we moved here and then immediately launching into the call, I just think it was just in my head from the very beginning. This, this is what we're going, to, this is what we're going to do. And so we looked for opportunities very early on to, to celebrate people. Um, the very first couple to uh, adopt, I mean, we'd only been here a couple of, I think it was less than a month. When a family in the church just randomly showed up to their small group one night with a with a baby with a baby girl, and and we kind of rallied around them immediately, and we showered them with gifts, and and we praised them, and we loved them, and we encouraged them, and just kind of declared from the very beginning um, that this was awesome. And so part of it is I know that we've led by example, but I mean the, the main thing I would say is the thing that gets celebrated is the thing that gets repeated. And so every time someone uh, adopts, it's a party, and it gets and it gets celebrated. And, you know, we, I would not say that, that there's ever been a time where I've gotten on stage and said, hey, guys, and you need now to become foster parents and, and adopt somebody, like, like it was some sort of church directive. I think essentially... <laughs> We just lived our lives the way we lived them. We're, we're a walking billboard, I suppose. I, I forget sometimes, and then I, I think about it. 
that you know our family is is so odd looking when it's when it's walking towards you that we're we're, we're a constant reminder to people about the unusual nature of our family i think we're just living our lives and then going out of our ways to celebrate it and so if if you want to cultivate this kind of ministry or outreach in your church then find the little bit of pockets um where it's happening and and celebrate it and 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 just make it seem big because you know then then people people want that because i think everybody's got a heart for kids and everybody wants to make safe places for kids. And if, and if we're going to rally around you, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to celebrate you. We're going to help you. We're going to be there with you. Then it, then it's going to get repeated. And then I would say now it just has a very natural energy on its own where people that I, I mean, I, I would, I would even say that we're relationally connected to very well are becoming foster parents. Yeah. Gosh, that's so great. So, okay. And, and that's, that's a great, that's a great word on, on this just overwhelming culture. And Heidi, I wanted to ask you some of those practical things because, you know, I'm more of a details person and I'm pretty task oriented. And so what, what would you say, Heidi, to some of those people that are like, yeah, but what do I like? What do I do like with my hands? And as, you know, one of the leaders of this call support or adoptive family support team at our church, what are some of those practical steps that people can take to support families like ours? Well, honestly, I think, I think we're still, you know, just as a team, we're, we're talking about what do we do and what are the practical things that we can do? And I think, um, just being a part of people's lives, just being connected to them and, um, talking to them about what's going on with their, um, with their family, with, um, their foster placements, um, when just knowing when they have court and what's coming up and what kinds of, um, decisions are, are still pending and that they're praying for them, praying for, um, you know, decisions that are coming up and, um, and visits and, um, you know, providing meals and helping with kids, being um, support families who can provide um, babysitting for kids. I mean, we had a family, bless their heart, that just dealt with um, infestations of bed bugs and just trying to, as a church, just rally around them and say, you know, this is a overwhelming situation but we want to we want to feed you we want to help pay for the you know extermination of this horrible <laughs> thing taking over your house we want to you know we we want to do what we can to help you in this and um i think a lot of times foster families feel like they're on an island by themselves and um because lots of times their kids are um, are, it's hard to take their kids places. Um, and, and it's hard to deal with all the, um, just the schedules and the disruptions and the behavior issue issues that happen when you're trying to be out in public around other people, around lots of other kids. So a lot of times the things that other moms depend on for community, like, uh, play groups and, 
you know, Bible study groups and um, park play dates and, and these kinds of things. A lot of times foster moms don't have those things because yeah. they, they, it's too difficult for them to be involved or um, so maybe they exclude themselves and just, and it's just easier to keep everyone at home where they can kind of have more control over the, the environment because just getting everyone settled and, and in a good place is, is hard enough. And then to, to take that show on the road, just, you know, just doesn't work. <laughs> and so sometimes they exclude themselves. Sometimes I, I think they feel excluded because um, sometimes you don't invite someone who has eight kids because what are you going to do with eight extra kids in your house? You know? And so um, I think, I think just trying to be mindful of, um, of keeping those families from becoming isolated. And um, that looks different, I think, in every situation. But I think just trying to keep those families connected and um, love on them. Um, I mean, Amy had a great practical just about helping with laundry. But, I mean, there's helping, you know, I, I had people when we first had, you know, I, I had Layla a newborn. And then I had, you know, 11 and a 14 year old. And so I had, you know, dance practices and play practices and soccer practices. And I was living in that world. And then I had now all of a sudden I had naps and, you know, feeding schedules and, you know, a, a baby who we didn't know was allergic to milk, who, you know, <laughs> screamed, <laughs> her stomach hurt. And, you know, so I had a, my my village stepped up, and I they drove my share of the carpool way too many times, and brought my kid home from the soccer field, and took my kid to wherever, and you know let let my kid tag along with their kid on the on the field trip or the soccer tournament weekend or whatever. I mean, and and so anything you can do to just um, help. Uh, you know, help a foster family practically, um, you know, shuffling kids, providing meals, being a friend, including them, you know, going and taking one or two of the kids <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and taking them to do what your kid is doing. Um, and I think just, just text them, call them, invite them to go on a walk after they've put the kids to bed. Just keep those connections. Yeah. Well, and I think that all of those things are so great. And something I wanted to highlight is that, and this is something that um, you guys have been really good at. And by the way, are you just like super annoyed with hearing how awesome you guys are at this yet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you saying it. (laughs) Well, okay. So this is something else that you guys have been really good at is not... Um, I feel like when, I mean, it's kind of like when people have a new baby, you know, they get like a month of meals that people provide and that's great. A lot of times with a new baby, that's all you need. But foster families, a lot of times we see, we're like, where did everyone go? We're still on fire over here, you know? And that's something that, uh, that our church is, our church in general has gotten really good at is not forgetting, you know, we're, we're all over a year post getting our, getting rock in our home and people are still checking up on us. They're still saying, you know, do you need anything? Can I bring you anything? And that's so needed and it's so great. And so I wanted to note that too, that, you know, if you're a part of a church and you can contribute to this church culture, that that's so important is not, not thinking that they're good after a while, that things, things make it easier, but they make it harder. Um, Yeah. I think 
really important. I, I mean, you, you could you could even broaden this out. You know, everybody shows up to the wedding. Everybody shows up to the funeral. Everybody goes to the hospital when the kid comes. Everybody comes when the big thing happens. But you know, I mean, who's going to be there a month from now, three months from now, six months from now? You know, while it's new and fresh, is the time when you can get the most people to rally. Then you've got to figure out some disciplined way to constantly remind yourself these people are in that situation. I mean, they live it twenty four seven. You can kind of come in and out of it, so you have to kind of make that discipline. So there's a family right now; they have three biological kids and almost as big of an age gap as we have. They are they are fostering potentially. It may turn to adoption. I mean, they've had this little one in their home for about 18 months, and I just make sure, and he and I have lunch together about every two to three weeks, and it's probably the second or third question every time, you know, how's 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 the baby doing? And then the, and the next question is, how is your wife doing? And and when I and and then I just kind of make this mental note when I see you know they they work one of the the kids' classrooms together during the first service, and so. I try to make my way over there before the service starts and connect with her as well. How are you doing? And, you know, you know, she's incredibly introverted and never really says much of anything. She's always fine, but you can just see the look on her face. There is somebody here who, who, who remembers that this has been hard. And so I know it's been hard. And I ask her, how you do? And she says, fine. But she and I both know it's been hard. But what really matters to her is that in the in the day-to-day of it, I'm remembering that what you're going through is hard. She may not need anything, but to know that I know and that I care enough to ask, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and remembering those things that are not... That are not so obvious, you know, people ask what, you know, how is it, how's the kid doing? How is that specific situation doing? And you guys have always been really good at be- being like, but how are you doing? How's your marriage doing? And, and I think that that's so important too. And that's what we, you know, we meet with you guys, my husband, Brian and I meet with you guys about once a year and we kind of call it our marriage checkup. Um, <laughs> just to, just to talk about things and see where we're at and how we're moving forward. And, it's been even more important since we, we jumped on this crazy train of adoption. And that's something that's, that's going to be super important for a lot of listeners out there is that this is going to wreak havoc on your, your entire lives, including your marriage. And it's super important for, for churches and pastors, especially to, to make sure that they're supporting what's behind the fire, what's behind the, the thing that looks the craziest, which is this adoption. But you know, that the, the support and the, the structure of the family is, is remaining intact and strong, right? Yeah, I mean, I and and I just think it's important, you know, even even the way that th- things have changed. I mean, even ten years ago, it would have been really weird to have more than one family in your church that had adopted or had were foster parents, and 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 there's this perception that it's just kind of a weird thing to do, and 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 you just work, you just you just mainstream it. This is this is what we do. This is who we are. This is what Christians do. And so, you know, I, I love the, I love the shirt. You're you're wearing it right now. Oh, yeah, Heidi's wearing this shirt right now. So foster, <laughs> adopt if you can. You know, volunteer if you can. Donate, educate. I mean, there's there's plenty to do. You know, who knows what you can do? There's a role that we all can play. 
But again, just kind of making it like kids ministry or youth ministry. This is just what church does. I mean, God, it was, it's all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, God expressing his overwhelming heart for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, the people who have no one else to take care of them. The only people who can take care of them is all of us. Those are people who are very special to God's heart, and that should not be a, a fringe thing. It should be something that is in the mainstream of what a church does. And so some churches may have focused on international adoption. We've chosen, you know, more focused on the call, which is foster and foster to adopt. But taking care of people who have no one to take care of them should not be some, you know, it's, it's not something, it should not be out of the ordinary. It should be something that all of us feel a shared ownership in. And, once you once you build that kind of culture, it's just awesome to see uh, just all these families not only doing it themselves, but like you say, rallying around their people who are involved in it. And I think um, Amy brought up something when she was talking about, um, you know, like we have a social script, as she called it, for how do you love someone after they've had a baby? Um, you know, you bring meals, you bring diapers, you... You know, you you check on them and um, make sure that mom's doing well. And and we kind of have a a social script for that. And I think um, there isn't a social script a lot of times for how do you support a family who is um, is doing foster care or how do you support a family who takes in a, a older elementary child or a teenager or is adopting through the foster care system. There's just a lot of how do you how do you support a family who takes in three sibling a sibling group of three or four? I mean, I, I, how do you do that? There's not a social script for that, and so I think um, a lot of times, unfortunately, it falls on the foster families or the adoptive families to have to communicate with their church and with their people to say, this is what I need. And a lot of times they might just feel overwhelmed and not know. But sometimes they may know, man, if someone would just blank, it would be so helpful. And unless, they can, unless they're willing to communicate those things, they, don't, they can't be a part of helping to write that, um, that script that then churches and communities can kind of follow and begin to as Charlie's saying, begin to mainstream it and begin to create a culture. And so I think, I think just speaking to other foster and adoptive families out there, um, I think it's very hard to tell someone how to love you. That feels very, um, I don't know, just like it's something you shouldn't do. You know, it yeah. feels self or it feels that, it, that, that feels stigmatized in a way, you know, to say, I need someone to do this for me, you know, <laughs> Someone to be my friend, you know. I mean, I I need someone to love me this way. It just feels weird, but we need to do that as foster and adoptive families because people don't know and they want to, they want to, and they will. and And if we're willing to verbalize it, then a lot of times um, we're we're doing the work that keeps someone else from having to say something later because now. Now there begins to be some tracks to run in. And um, I remember when a, a foster mom in our family 
um, I called her and I said, just what, what do you need? What, what would be helpful? What can I bring over to you right now that would help you? Because I just don't know what to do. And, um, she said, you know, these kids eat like locusts all day long. And she said, just snacks. Like I have meals, I can do meals, but I can't keep up with the snacks. And I thought, man, that's so practical. And I wouldn't have thought of that. I didn't realize that, that that was a need. But, and, but then I was able to take that and share that with some other people and say, Hey, did you know that our foster families need to have snacks? And so we were able to kind of just go with that and, and be able to collect, um, you know, the kinds of, you know, fruit pouches and granola bars and the kind of stuff that everybody has in their pantry, you know, but to realize we need to help shore some of these families up who've got kids with food insecurity and and they need to have these food, you know, they need to have plentiful, healthy snack foods on hand all the time. And that can get, you know, overwhelming to just keep that stocked up. So anyways. Well, and that's one of the, one of my favorite things that, that, that people do for us is when they text me and they're like, I'm heading to the store. Do you need anything? And it's last minute and it's low pressure. So I can be like, Oh my gosh, yes, milk, please bring me because I don't want to, like you said, take this show on the road to run to Walmart five days a week because that's about how many times it, uh, it takes for a crazy family. Right. Oh, so, so awesome. Okay. So are you guys ready for some like closing questions here? Already, definitely. Okay, so what do you wish at the beginning of this, before you got Layla, before any of it, someone had just made you like looked you in the eye and been like, "You need to trust me." This is my advice. What do you wish someone had told you? I think two things. Um, I think I wish I could have known um, how good this would be for our family, for our older girls. I think when you're entering into the whole prospect of adopting or especially fostering, I think you fear for, you know, what, what could happen to my bio kids, you know, in this process and, and how will this be for them? And will this be good for them? Will this be healthy for them? Am I exposing them to danger or to trauma of some sort that's unnecessary? And I know that there are a lot of things that happen in a lot of families um, where um, f- some families do have to deal with some of that. So I don't want to minimize that in any way. But for our family, this has been um, an amazing thing for our older girls. Um, they've um, they've just, um, I, I, th- I think having them be, they were 11 and 14 when we brought Layla home. And so really we've been able to, teach our children how to parent, which is something that you don't usually get to teach your kids um, because you're parenting them and they, you know, but they've gotten to watch us parent her because she's so much younger than them. And so um, they've asked questions and they've called us out and they've told us we're doing it wrong. And they've, they've, wondered why we are doing it this way with her and didn't do it that way with them. And we've just brought up so many good discussions. And I think that's an aspect of this that has been a huge blessing to our family that I just had no idea about. And I don't know that anyone could have told us that per se, but 
I think that's just something that was a surprise to me. And I think another thing that was a surprise to me was just this whole area of trauma and how um, even, I, you know, bringing a child home <clears throat> from the hospital, you think, well, there's not any trauma. She's never lived in another home. She's never had to deal with the abuse or neglect or um, insecurities or, or she's never had to deal with the things that a lot of kids who've come into foster care have had to deal with um, because she was taken at the hospital. But um, there is still trauma there. And just um, I'm just learning about all of that. And um, I think it would have been helpful to have understood the whole realm of trauma more on the front end. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, teary nights on Google by myself <laughs> trying to. <laughs> and, um, and, and there's a lot of great resources out there. You can actually get a lot of great info on Google late at night when you're trying to figure it out. But, um, and I'm very thankful for that. But I think knowing some more of that on the front end and understanding even um, just trauma that can be, you know, even from things kids have experienced before birth um, and in utero and, and those sorts of things. It's just, um, it's, it's a whole, it's a very real thing. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I think that that would probably be one of mine too. Just uh, that understanding of how impactful trauma is on your physical brain and just on, on uh, your interactions with everyone. Um, so, Okay. What is something that you guys wish you had done differently along this journey? Mm. Well, I guess I maybe maybe learning more about I think learning more about um, trauma, learning more about just adoptive families, um, just getting more of that information um, about how to just understanding the the grief and the loss of of adoption that that side of things and how to communicate that and how to lead um your family well through that um mm. I, think, I think we were a little pollyanna ish in in the whole um and it just all happened really rather quickly i guess too by the time we you know, from when we really decided, okay, we're going to do this to boom, you know, it just, and then, and then you've got a newborn. I mean, it's just, you know, so I, I don't feel, I feel like I could have had a lot more information. I, I'm a person who likes information too. So, um, I guess that for me, that feels like maybe I should have done a better job getting, getting good information on the front end. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that you think you wish, wish were different, wish things that I'd known or whatever, a lot of them have to do with kind of navigating kind of the, the relationship that you have with DHS. You know, like 99% of the time, the baby is yours and only yours, and you're the only one who knows or cares. And then there's this periodic kind of entry that this, this group kind of puts in, and there are amazing people who 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 see some of the worst things that this world has to offer, and I have no judgment for them. But kind of navigating that it can it can be really hard. 
But to say, you know, what would I say in hindsight? I mean, I know this is a, a crazy metaphor, but it's a little bit like, you know, kind of navigating this process is a little bit like um, walking through a maze full of booby traps in the dark. <laughs> and you well, once you've made it through, you're kind of like, well, no, well now I know. What, what, but, you know, you can't tell that to the next person because right. their, the booby traps will be very different. And so I think I think maybe... You know, having having somebody having somebody with me to kind of that understood kind of help me navigate that the kind of the mixed emotions that you have, which is the kind of thing that I've tried to do with other dads. Um, I, I call it, you know, she she says warrior mom. I, I, I talk about Papa Bear, you know, when Papa Bear comes in and like, I don't know who you think you are coming in here and telling me about what my cub should or shouldn't be doing. And I get kind of <laughs> Papa Bear, but at the same time, I have to kind of submit to this. And it's a hard thing to navigate. When does Papa Bear come out and when does Compliant Charlie come out? And I, again, I think it's an art, not a science. I don't think there's anything that I could, I could tell somebody, well, this is what but walking through with them day by day, I, I wish that I had had somebody who had had navigated this before, how to be a dad and lead your family when there's this organization who has a greater legal claim to your child than you do, and the emotions that you feel about that. I wish that I had had somebody that I could have just said all of the things that I was thinking and feeling in a really safe place that would have been understood. I had safe places, but nobody understood what I was talking about. Yeah. No, that, it, to have a safe place to express and it's like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And they can share a story that says, and hey, I had this one visit once and I went to this court once and I did this once. I think that, I think that's important. I guess if this is an adoptive mom podcast that I would tell your tell the moms to tell the dads to try to find some some guy who has been there that can help walk you through it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's such a that's that's a good one. And I think that, you know, you were talking about like a story of people saying, oh, I get that because this has happened that I remember the first time that I understood that and it was the weirdest feeling I took. I took Rock to, it was like a doctor's appointment. They call it, I think it's a PACE appointment or something like that, where they basically evaluate his medical stuff. And his caseworker just picked him up without asking me and was holding him. And I'm not, I'm not one of those mothers that's like, you cannot touch my children. But I just wanted to be like, um, excuse me. Like she didn't ask me or anything. And then I was like, oh my gosh, she's more of his legal guardian than I am technically. And that was the weirdest thing in the entire world to me. And I felt so like betrayed and yeah, I think that's when it got real. And I was like, this is, this is not, uh, this is not pleasant for me right now. Um, okay. So what is your favorite way? And we've kind of already talked about this, but if you could just one singular thing, what's your favorite way that your tribe supported you during this process? And then follow up. What is a way that you felt hurt or not supported? Maybe despite some good intentions. And again, the reason I asked this question is because if support systems are listening, I think that they would want to know what they're doing that might unintentionally make things harder. Well, like we said, we had a pink flood hit our living room overnight. We had meals. Our families have been amazing. Um, 
you know, just our, our, our families have been so receptive um, to Layla, to to this process. And, and I think, of course, they were fe- fearful on the front end, um, which is perfectly natural and understandable. We were, too. But... But just you know, they they were great, and and our and our church family has been great. Um, I think um, maybe maybe just people not completely knowing how to relate to. I, I mean, I think just the fact that what we were doing was different than what people um, had had experience with um, with foster care. I think also. You know, we were 40 and now had a newborn. I mean, I, you know, my, my mom friends were, were mom friends who had, you know, preteens and teenagers. And so then all of a sudden I had a newborn and they didn't really want to hang with me anymore. And that's understandable. (laughs) But, but I found myself feeling a little like, who are my people? And I still do a little bit. My my mom friends are now, you know, 15 years younger than me because they're friends who have um, kindergartners. And so I kind of have, you know, a, I've, we just have realized that our... We have two different friends. We have two different friends. We have friends, you know, who have teenagers and college kids. And then we have um, friends who have um, kindergartners and... But um, it's also kind of been a beautiful thing of helping us to feel more connected, I think, with a lot of the families at the Grove who all seemed, it seemed like most every family in the Grove had a child within three months of each other. And that's, they're all the same as Layla. And so it's been really fun to um, just kind of have that natural, easy, do life together um, connection with um, a lot of the people that we were already in church with. So um that's awesome so okay i think the thing that i would add was that um they they when 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 all of a sudden one day we were a family of five even before the adoption you know just one day now we were bringing a one week old to church from the very beginning everyone treated her just like she was one of the lofton sisters it wasn't our two natural kids and the foster kid. It was our three kids. And I think that sort of very natural love and acceptance that this, she is, Layla is part of this family now, just as if it had, she had come from, um, Heidi's body, you know, I mean, there was no differentiation in people's, people's minds. They didn't, they didn't treat her different. They didn't talk to her different. And to the degree that they did treat her different, it was with, greater love and greater concern and 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 that that really meant a lot and so i think even for her as a as a as a small as a as a baby i think you know if people are treating you different and i think from the very beginning she felt very special and everyone treated her like she was part of our family from day one gosh that's so great and i i mean i think that that just goes back to that that whole culture thing and i love it so um Okay, so last question here. If you and uh, I'm going to make it kind of a two-parter. So if you could sum it all up into just one biggest piece of advice, and I want I want you to break it down. So biggest piece of advice to families like yours who have adopted, but then second one is biggest piece of advice to church staff or pastors or any, any uh, culture setters 
in a church, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them in this whole adoption thing? I think to, to start with families, I would say my biggest piece of advice would be to teach people how to love you in this process, to um, just resist the urge to do it alone because mm. you, I, I think a lot of foster families feel like once they have taken on this big, hard thing, like it's too big and it's too hard and it's overwhelming to them and no one else wants anything to do with it. And I think that they assume wrong. I think um, a lot of people would help and would share the burden if they knew what to do, but they don't know what to do. And so I think um, be willing to tell people how to love you and how to join you and how to be a part of this big thing you're doing, because it's a huge call that you have answered and it's a huge need and it's too much for you to do alone. And you're going to bless the other people around you by letting them be a part of this. You know, the blessings that you experience um, by being obedient to the Lord and doing what he's called you to do. And you're going to share those blessings when you invite other people to be a part of this process with you. So overcome the stigma of telling other people how to love you. Overcome the the um, wrong notion that people don't want to be a part, that people would rather you just stay on your foster care people island and leave them alone. Um, it, invite people into your world and into this process and let them share it with you. That's good. And, and as far as kind of, you know, creating a culture in your church, you know, I would imagine that there are two kinds of people listening right now. One would be people who have positions of influence in their church and, and those that don't. If, if you do have a position of influence in your church and you have the ability to be a culture shaper in your church, I would just continue, encourage you to really do two things. is to celebrate even small things, the smallest of things that people are doing, that are moving this forward, that are taking some initiative with foster care and adoption. Celebrate it. Again, the things that are celebrated get repeated. So you want to celebrate it. And, too, I think you want to talk about it like it's normal. So, like, you know, if I'm up there and I'm teaching and I'm talking about ways to apply the sermon, I'll say, you know, and so maybe maybe you need to, to go home and, and, and reconcile with your wife and apologize for this thing. Or maybe you need to be better at work. You know, you just kind of use these kind of, normal illustrations of things that might would need to do to apply the teaching. But you can also add to that. You like, think, man, man, God wants to do something in your life. He wants you to reach out to your neighbor. He wants you to talk to somebody at work. He may, he wants you to adopt and get involved in foster care and bring kids into your home and to talk about it kind of in the same string of things that are just kind of normal ways that people apply. Don't put it in the the superstar category, put it in the normal category, and then people will just kind of get the general idea that, well, this is just something that people do. Yeah. If you are not of influence in your church and you wish that your church had a stronger adoptive foster care culture, then, then I would I would just make sure that you understand this. As someone who, who, who lives on this side and has people in his church who have passions for things that I don't necessarily have a passion for, you cannot transfer your passion to someone else. You can't, you can't go to the leaders in your church and say, guess what, I've decided our church now is a foster care adoption church. You, you, can't, you can't do that and say, well, now, and now 
pastor, leader, elder, teacher do this? I think the best way to approach it is I'm not going to try to convince the top to lead top down. I'm going to lead from where I am bottom up. I'm not ask I'm not asking the pastor to take on foster care and adoption. I'm taking on foster care and adoption. I want to get people involved. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to my pastor and tell him God has given me this passion and I I, I and this is what I want to do. And 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 9 out of 10, maybe even better, 99 out of 100 pastors, if you share your passion with them and you're not telling them what they need to do, but you're telling them what you're going to do and that you might just need a little bit of help and encouragement, you're going to you're going to get the um, you're going to get the the right kind of response. I think too often we 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 get some vision or passion in our heart, but we're not in a position of influence and we think what we have to do is that our role is to convince the people of influence that they need to be doing it. When really if 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 that's what God wanted to do, he would have put it on their heart. But he put it on your heart. And so movements can be created in a church top down, but they can also be created bottom up. And there's just two different strategies. And so don't get frustrated if you feel like that your pastor and your church isn't quite as on board as you would like. You don't need them to be on board. God's got you on board, and he will use your circle of influence to build a movement from the bottom that ultimately the leadership won't be able to ignore. Yeah. Oh, so, so good, guys. I really... that that kind of sums everything we've talked about up and ties a neat bow on it. So I'm super appreciative of all of that. Um, okay. So where can we find you on social media at slash blog or whatever else? Where can we see cute pictures of Layla? That's what we really want to know. Um, so like you want me to tell my Facebook name or my, sorry, I'm, my Instagram name. Yeah. Is so this I, about the internet? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I was on Google today. I'm an 85 year old woman. <laughs> yeah, this the internet is where this will go. Yeah, the internet. Okay, on the Facebooks, I am Heidi Jones Lofton, and on Instagram, I am Heidi underscore Lofton. <laughs> you can find me just about anywhere because I have a uniquely spelled last name. I get whatever username I want that has our last name. So you can find me just about anywhere with Clofton. I like it because it's my first initial and my last name, and it makes a made-up word. And so my actually my kids, my older kids call me that. They call me Clofton, and my and their friends call me Clofton, and it's kind of weird. But you have to make sure that you understand that Clofton, uh, it, uh, Lofton spelled with an E. And if you can't spell Lofton right, you're not you can't follow us anyway. So yeah. Uh, well, and one of one of your children's Instagram handles is just L O F and then the number ten, right? L, uh, her first initial L L O F and then the number 10 <laughs> loft 10. I love it. It's easy to remember. And, uh, and Charlie, you have a, bl- you have a blog as well, right? It's just Clofton.com. Yeah. You just, you just Clofton, Clofton's everywhere. So just, just find Clofton on your social media, on the, the blog. Google? That's it. Just on the Google. Just Google's it and it'll be there. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm super appreciative of you doing this and it was such a good interview. So, um, Charlie, you've made history now. You're the first, first male on the adoptive mom podcast. So boy, well, thanks so much for having us. Thank you, Alex. 
Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.